Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So, Guy, Nick Mason, source full of secrets, of which we are um, two fifths, right? Are, we're going back out on the road in the summer across the UK. We are. We're, it's all of June, so brace yourself. What's it called? It's called the Set the Control Store. What a brilliant name! Who do you uh, think could have come up with such a great name for a tour, Gary? I wonder. I think yeah. I'm looking at him, right? But then right. I did come up with uh, Nick Mason's all sort of secrets. You did, and in fact, that came up in a podcast then because you were inspired by Woody Woodman's U-boat, weren't you? I was, yes. Anyway, anyway, but enough of that. So join Nick, Guy, Lee Harris, uh, Don Beacon, and me as we celebrate the early years with you know that incredible it's an incredible body of work isn't it the early Pink Floyd it goes up to just before Dark Side of the Moon goes up to 1972 all the film soundtracks all the Sid stuff stuff you've never heard stuff that no one's ever Echoes, heard frankly obviously. Echoes is the big sort of you and, know uh, uh, what is that what would you call it Magnum Opus yeah, I love a Magnum don't you yeah, I never met Magnum was <laughs> he <laughs> Um, anyway, tickets are on sale now and you can buy yours at uh, myticket.co.uk. And Kilimanjaro Live presents Nick Mason's Source Full of Secrets, the Set the Control Tour. All right, Gary. Hello, Guy. Is there anyone on this planet? Sorry, one more second. <laughs> Uh, Start again. No, 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 there's no one on this planet. It's just you and me. So I don't actually know why we bother still doing the podcast, really, as there's no one left to listen to it. Because as Jonathan King said, everyone's gone to the moon. Yes. What I was going to say, is there anyone on this planet that doesn't like Bruce Springsteen? Uh, probably. And uh, they'll probably leave a comment. I just, everyone I, everyone I know loves Bruce, yeah. no matter what you're into. You love Bruce, right? You love the boss. And uh, but do, would you trust someone who is a musician, a songwriter, and an actor? Um, <laughs> I think I, I, came, I came across one once. <laughs> Can't say I like the cut of his jib very much. Um, <laughs> no, absolutely, and an and uh, an an activist, an incredibly effective activist. Ah, yes, of course. Yeah, of course, yeah. I've probably made one of the most successful. Uh, what, what do we call those kind of that kind of music? We call it um, protest songs. Pro, yeah, is it? Is a, it's a protest. Yeah, it was because it wasn't. It wasn't for charity. It was a protest song, and also just a great record. A great record, incredible. Let's yeah. uh, should we should we talk to this guy? Let's yeah. Let's get him on. Let's get Sill on. Um, it's the one, the only, uh, Mr. Steve Van Zant. Welcome to the Rock on Tours. Okay, guys, I'm ready. This was great, guys. I, I, it's so great to talk to two guys that have done this. Well, it's a big tune for sure. I actually wrote that originally for Tina Turner. Of course, I had gone and found Joni Mitchell down in Florida and brought her back. You know, what people forget about Bowie is that he was such a kind man. Remember me? I'm in a band now. <laughs> it's called Roxy Music. You know this thing about the 10,000 hours of experience? Oh, yeah. To, to get good at thing. something. When we recorded Arnold Lane, we'd done about 50 hours. The Rock Hunters podcast with Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt. Hello, 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 hello. Oh, whoa. Oh, hello. Yeah. Steve Madsen. There he is. Steve. <laughs> Remember, what do we call you, Steve? Steven. Stevie. 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 Man, it's, it's such a thrill to have you here because you... Gary and I like to think we tick a few boxes between us, and you tick 
all the boxes we love. Artist, yeah. sideman, actor, activist. Oh, it's everything we love, man. Yeah, so, yeah. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't see Ronnie Cray, do I? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to talk to you about that because I think you nicked a lot of your style from me, mate. <laughs> oh, oh, God. No, no, you, you were fantastic in that, man. Really great. Well, listen, we, we both have something in common there as well. And, and Guy, even, Guy, I just did a, a TV show in the UK and Guy was on that too. So all three of us have done the acting and music at the same time. I also, I've, and I've seen you many times, Steve. I've got to say most memorably, well, it's always memorable, but I was at Hyde Park uh, when, when you were with Bruce, when you did the positive, divinely inspired move of opening with London Calling, which was... Ah. Man, which you very gamely sang the second verse of. <laughs> Was that the same show where they, they pulled the plug on us? That's right, on McCartney at the end. <laughs> what, what? They pulled yes. the plug on McCartney? Paul McCartney comes out with us and we, we went three minutes past the curfew and they pulled the plug. <laughs> what song were you doing? Um, probably I saw her standing there, I think. Because I, like I saw the film of you doing that at the Roundhouse with Paul, when Paul comes yeah. on. It's not yeah, easy to the same mic right. with, a, with a right hander and a left hander, is it? We're both playing yeah. guitars. No, it's better. Well, it's better. Yeah, do you think? Better. Oh, no, hang on. No, it's right. No, it's... Nah, it's not. There's a lot of clash. It's we'll different. Listen, yeah. hey, if you're singing into the same mic as Paul McCartney, you'd do anything. You'd do it on your knees, wouldn't you? <laughs> but you know what? Talking of that song, I, um, I, I was at a party a while ago and I actually got talking to Paul. And for some reason, this thing, we, it came up about... Uh, mistakes that you make on records and stuff that get left. And for some I blurted out, you know, because it's always terrifying saying anything to Paul. Uh, what, is there anything you've ever done on a record that you thought was a mistake? And he said, oh, well, there's a Beatles song called I Saw Her Standing There. It's like, yeah, yeah, okay, yes, heard of it. And he said, apparently, he reckons he fucked it up, but no one else noticed. How? On the recording, yeah, I don't know. I, obviously, I went back and listened to it. It's still least. eating him away. It's impossible to, to sing that and, and play the bass line at the yeah, same time. Yeah. I mean, that's just impossible, okay? So if, if, he, if he missed a note here or there, I mean, it's, it's forgivable because, you know, he's, he's playing a different rhythm than he's singing. Yeah, and what was, it, you know. what was it like being on stage with him? Uh, I am I, not exaggerating to say it was a thrill of my life. I mean, one of the great thrills of my life. I mean... Coming on stage with the E Street Band was was wonderful. Uh, he then invited me and Bruce on stage with him at Madison Square Garden, which was great. But coming on my stage, you know, endorsing my music and me, well, I mean, I, you know, I was yeah. a 13-year-old kid. The first album I ever bought was Meet the Beatles in America, which we thought was their first album. It turned out to be the second album. That's right, right. But, uh, you know, that was my first album. And then that was my introduction to a whole new world and literally saved my life, you know, and... Now you're on stage with them. It was quite uh, surreal. And, uh, you know, you have to compartmentalize in those moments. You know, you can't, you can't think about being a fan. You have to just treat them as a fellow. Remember your training. Remember. Your... <laughs> <laughs> right. you, know, you can't be trained for moments like no, that. No, I know. You know <laughs> but uh, it was wonderful. And, you know, and, I, and, I, you know, I get English guys loving the Beatles because to us, we're almost them. You know, it's the boy next door. It, it could be us. And in fact, if it wasn't for the Beatles, you know, I mean, m what happened to me recently was I was reading the, the Mark Lewison book and ended up in tears at it when, when Paul meets John. I always end up in tears at that moment. It's the greatest story ever told. None of us would be here if that yeah. moment never happened. Well, how was it for American kids who'd listened to music for years and years that was their music that the Beatles were kind of copying 
What is it about the Beatles that was so special? No, no, no. I, I have to say, I, I think it was more more special than, than it was for you because it was so alien, you know, so foreign for us. Um, first of all, my generation, I'm a 60s guy, so I missed the 50s, right? I, you know, I missed the 50s and really early 60s. I started buying some singles. So the Beatles were introducing our own music to us completely. I never heard of Little Richard. I never heard of Chuck Berry. Uh, wow. You know, you know, why would I? You know, uh, yeah. it, was, it was gone by, by the time, we, we, you know, we were growing up. So, so, you know, they were, you know, in jail or, you know, the, the little Richard <laughs> saw Sputnik and, and decided, you know, to be a preacher, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, Jerry Lee Lewis married his 13 year old yeah. cousin, you know, I mean, they were, they were all the pioneers were gone. And, you know, and of course, Buddy Holly, you know, died and, and you know, seven, Eddie Cochran died, you know, so we were seeing an amazing moment because um, I've never been interested in show business exactly and and we had we had single people you know like you know, we had whatever the Elvis Presleys I suppose or whoever we had uh, singing groups like doo-wop and if you went to your high school dance it was instrumental groups so I had never seen a band before you know mo most of us had never seen a band period you know so here they are playing and singing and eventually writing their own songs we didn't know which one was their songs and which ones weren't and it was a different communication completely to me it was it was it was it wasn't me 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 it was you know here's us here's the team here's the, the friends friendship uh community you know the posse the gang yeah and that was that was what attracted me you know and i, and I have to say though um by the time we we met the beatles it was literally halfway through the career i mean they started in 57 actually and were gone by 69. Yeah, yeah. So they were extremely sophisticated. I mean, you know, the harmony was perfect. The hair was perfect and completely new to us. The clothes were perfect and new to us. Everything was new. Their accent and the, their, their wit, you know. Um, and so they, they, they showed you a new world, and which was, which was life-saving. But, you know, you didn't look at them and say, well, geez, I, I think I could maybe do that, you know. And luckily for us, four months later, the Rolling Stones came, you know. And, and, and I must say... <laughs> they're the other half of the story because they made it look easier than it was. They were very casual. They wore whatever they felt like. Yeah. Their hair was not perfect, except for Brian Jones. Uh, you know, they, 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 they had no harmony at all. They, yeah. they were really the first punk band. So, so the way I like to put it is the Beatles revealed a whole new world to us and the Rolling Stones invited us in. It's the well, I, thought, I was like Pete Townsend had a great way of putting it. He said the thing that the Rolling Stones did was he said they just kicked the door shut on show business. You know, that's well, they yeah. ended that. I mean, it was, yeah. What moved me the most, what really tipped me into, into really wanting to do this was Mick Jagger was the only person I'd ever seen in show business who didn't smile. You know, and that, that doesn't right. sound like a big deal right now. <clears throat> but back then it was a very big deal, you know? And I thought, wow, you know, this is something different. It's not show business anymore. This is a, this is a lifestyle, you know, it's a, it's a, mm. it's a, it's kind of a, they're on a mission, you know, and they really were on a mission in the beginning, the Stones. Because the Beatles, they were the bridge really, you know, they came out of that light entertainment, you know, they had the smiles, you know, um, Brian made them smile, got them the suits, you know, but they had these weird haircuts for a start, which they got from Germany, but then they become the great revolutionaries in music, doing things that no one else has ever dreamt of before. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they, they they led the way almost in every 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 single step of the way, you know. And what 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 they don't get enough credit for, you know. And I talk about a, a little bit in a book. I, I got a new book coming 
end of September. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not, we're not going to talk about it too much now. But 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 basically, the the thing that they don't get enough credit for, in my opinion, is they invented the concept of evolution. Okay, and, and this is something that we all kind of take for granted now. But in the old days, pre-Beatles, you know, you, you'd have a hit, and if you had a hit, it was a miracle. And your job was to then have a second hit as close to that first hit as you could possibly make it, you yeah. know? And that was totally accepted in the way it was, you know? The Beatles, you know, all of a sudden, the, the, the second album was, was an evolution from the first. And then the next one was an evolution from that. Yeah, yeah. And an evolution from that, you know? And that was a new idea. You know? Yeah, because I always thought it extraordinary, the idea, if you heard Twist and Shout, there's no way you could picture that Across the Universe was right. down the road. Five five years later. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, five, six years later. I mean, you know, so, I mean, that, that was something that uh, really helped turn it into the, an art form. I mean, when, when the Beatles and, and Bob Dylan and, and the Stones and, and, and I would say the Birds as well, they all got together and influenced each other by 65 and it turned into an art form. But that was one of the reasons. Although according to your Rock and Roll Hall of Fame speech, it was the Little Rascals who were the first band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Well, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I you can know, see why you got the Sill gig off that though. Steve, I was... <laughs> Let's stay on the Beatles for a second yeah. because there's a, there's a similarity between Liverpool and, and New Jersey, right? You know, these are coastal towns. You think that those records that were coming out of America were getting on a boat just down the road from where you lived and, and, and getting off the boat just down the road from where McCartney and Lennon lived. And, and, and there's, there's a similarity in that sort of outward looking place that they both, you both come from. With, with, the, with the, I mean, with the slight exception, I think we were before the riots. There's before the riots and after the riots in, in, in Asbury Park. Uh, uh, by the end of the sixties, you know, a lot of cities were rioting because mm. of various reasons. But um, we were kind of half Liverpool and half Brighton, really. You know, we were a little, a little <laughs> bit of a, you know what I mean? Like we, we, before, before the town was leveled and became a wasteland, it was actually a, a, a resort town. You know. So, so it was yeah. a little bit different than Liverpool, which I picture more of an industrial, yeah, yeah, yeah. industrial yeah. town. You know, uh, we, we were more a little bit more of a, a you know, we had the, we had the, the boardwalk and, and the Ferris wheel and and all those kinds of rides and things, uh, which which extended right into the seventies when we when we when we did our first residency as Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes, which was my first, yeah, my yeah. First band. I mean, there, there was nobody living there. But people would still come down on the weekends, you know. Because it, but because the, there is definitely there's such a specific kind of, and I would say specific to Asbury Park, but that, that Jersey sound, which is an R and B sound, but not, and it's so, it's so identifiable. But it, there's a weird thing that New Jersey has of of being, it's like the, and this comes over a lot in the Sopranos of, of that thing of just being right next to New York, but then kind of so far away, being and being this sort of kid brother almost of kind of. Well, yeah, it, it's it's the also ran, you know. You know, it's the underdog. Right. It's Croydon. Uh, it's Croydon. We, we, we joke about it. You know, we 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 try harder. You know, because you know we're not we're not New York. You know, we're not New York and we're not Philadelphia. You know, we were in between. You know, and, and so you know we we I mean in, in a good way. It, it, the good part of it was you know when you when you're out of this out of that intense pressure cooker of a, of an inner city, you do have a little bit more of a chance to develop. You know, you can develop in those in the in that in that situation, which is what happened to us in Asbury Park. Um, we really developed who, who we were going to be, and um, by the time we started Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes, now keep in mind we had grown up with the British invasion, as we called it, 
which really was one in 64. I mean, for, for you know, a year and a half or so, it, they were absolutely British dominated the charts. And yeah, we're never going to let you forget the, that. Never. Put, and put all the heroes out of work, ironically, you know, uh, which was, you know, uh, obviously, a, a, you know, unintentional consequence. But the, the only ones, only a couple of people survived. I mean, the, the Beach Boys survived, the Four Seasons survived, and soul music survived. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what, what we grew up with was, uh, now we, ha- we had seven, eight, maybe nine rock and roll TV shows on every week, which is, you know, can you believe that? We have and, one. And, you know, <laughs> I know, it was a good one. Ready, steady, go is a good one. Um, but, you know, you, you'd have, you know, Rolling Stones would come on, and then, and then Marvin Gaye, you know, uh, and then, and then, and then the Kinks and then Curtis Mayfield, you know, um, yeah. I mean, that was every single show was like that, you know, and, and, and uh, even Ready, Steady, Go, uh, to some extent. Had the no, same, yeah, very same much, thing. yeah. And, and so we grew up with that rock and soul, rock and soul, rock right. and soul thing, you know, right. and, and basically it, it, that's what merged into Southside Johnny Asbury Jukes. We had the, the rock and roll guitars with, with horns, you know, with, with the horns. So. That's that interesting because I hear a lot of the doo-wop in the Jersey sound. I can hear that that would have been, and there's an, there's an obviously a great irony here because doo-wop was formed on street corners by kids who couldn't afford any instruments. And then right. the, the Jersey sound ends up doing doo-wop with about 15 in- players all on stage at once playing every single yeah. instrument ever invented. Well, that kind yeah. of makes doo-wop the original hip hop then, doesn't it? Because hip hop was guys who couldn't get instruments either. <laughs> yeah. You could, you could argue that. I mean, yeah. Yeah. but um, we, we actually did a couple of doo-wop songs, you know, um, along the way. But um, Weren't you mostly... in a doo-wop band for a bit, those little Steve? St- no, no, that was really little before Steve. my time. <laughs> little Steve. <laughs> little Steve. <laughs> Sorry. <a> little... <laughs> I'm so scared. Excuse me, little Steven. <laughs> <laughs> We went, we went, we had to go back and discover that stuff. It was really before our time. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I bought a few singles in the early 60s, but really, it really literally was the Beatles, the first album I ever bought. So right. I had to go back and study the 50s, uh, and, and that included doo-wop, which I love. I, I'm a big, big fan of doo-wop. I, I put it in my radio format. You know, it's the only place mm-hmm. you can hear doo-wop in the world is in my radio format. And um, Who would you point us to if we, if we wanted the best doo-wop? Who would you point us to? Oh my God! Um, yeah. uh, my favorite of, of all is a song called "I'm So Young" uh, by the Students, a cat named Leroy King, which I think is probably one of the greatest vocals of all time. The uh, Students, from Students, yeah. Um, That's such a new wave band name. You get the <laughs> <laughs> you get the you get the Jive Five doing uh, um, "What Time Is It" and. Um, our true, our true story, uh, uh, the, the dubs. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. They, 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 oh, yeah, 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 okay. But Stephen, Frankie Valley, that was also coming before you as well, wasn't it? And must have influenced the kind of sound you guys were making. Yeah, yeah. They, and, and they and they were coming from like a two-up thing, as were the Beach Boys, you know? Uh, and, and funnily enough, those are the two that survived the British invasion, and two of the very few. Um, so, yeah, the, the Four Seasons, um, Sherry, I think it was 61 or 62, uh, then right yeah. away they had "Big Girls Don't Cry," "Walk Like a Man." They had they had five or six fantastic singles in a row, um, and so they 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 actually survived the invasion, you know, of '64. Talk of which, there was the, actual Frankie Valley in the Sopranos, right? Frankie Valley actually ended that up in was, the Sopranos. That was yeah. your actual Frankie Valley, because I just yeah, kept thinking, yeah, yeah. that's not actually yeah. Frankie Valley, is it? Surely that's <laughs> amazing. No, that, that was him. That's him. Did you get him in? <laughs> that was him. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, Do you know what? Chase, David wow. Chase is a big music fan. Big music fan. Oh, no, sure, I got sure, that. I got, uh, you know. The... I'm sure Guy's going to talk about The Sopranos with you in a bit because he's a massive, massive Sopranos fan. But, but I just want to just want to ask you about, because there's, there's an episode, isn't there, where Bruce Springsteen gets mentioned. So if Bruce Springsteen oh. is in The Sopranos universe, where and who is it? Oh, I actually tweet you about, well, no, there's, Guy, there's a more meta one than that, isn't there? There's the, when um, Tony is seeing his, seeing his Gumar and a little Steven track comes on. What? <laughs> yeah. And, that keeps her, and, she, and, the, and she says, to her, what do you think? And he goes, nah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah that's incredibly meta stuff because i actually tweeted you this a while ago Steve. i said it, it, it's seeing it because bruce is referenced a lot in the sopranos so so, so who's playing guitar for him in that universe oh uh, well hills i guess <laughs> yeah i mean that that was that was the thing they they you know corsese sort of introduced the idea yeah. of, of contemporary you know in, in in mean streets you know um like starting with Be My Baby by the Ronettes and, and Jumper yeah. Jack Flash by the Stones, which, you know, not songs you would have associated with the mob, you know, with, with, mob, with gangsters before that, you know. So Scorsese, you know, sort of merged the modern world with with the whole traditional gangster thing. And I, and I think, you know, they By Casino, it had become parody though, hadn't it? It's just wall-to-wall -wall stones well, and kind I of... Mean, you know, I didn't appreciate it, that movie when it first came out because it was it seemed it seemed redundant at the time. It, you know, but you look but look at it now, and it's I think it's yeah. an absolutely fantastic. Movie no one now. dressed that cool in the seventies. Although you did, you had that whole. You were very fly, weren't you, with your suits? For a minute, for a minute, <laughs> yes. I, you know, I, I just I just something just occurred to me, and it was it's relevant to what we were talking about earlier. And I was thinking, you know, New Jersey and that sound is a little bit of what goes on over here with the Canvey Island sound, wasn't it? Very with much. Very Dr. much. Feelgood. Dr. Feelgood and uh, there, there's there's a there's a place not far from from uh, yeah, no, London. We, we we had the we had you know we had the Jukes uh, tour with, with with Graham Parker. You know, Graham by, right, by yeah, Graham the Parker. Ruber, There you go. That's very much yeah. You know, by, by his what his second album, he had some horns I think on it yeah. already. Um, you know, so the, yeah, that that was a there was a group at the same time. You guys called it pub rock. You know, uh, yeah. It was, bar band rock for us uh, almost exactly the same time um the jukes uh, mink deville oh yeah, god yeah yeah, yeah. spanish troll uh, graham parker elvis elvis costello uh dave edmonds you know um all part of the same even Huey lewis man i want you on my pub quiz team you you've got your stuff down well, no, I was, I was there. But, but I suppose because we had we had John Bon Jovi on the show a few weeks ago, and I love saying that by the way. It sounds good. Now we got you on, and the similarity is that they are they all come out of cultures where a bar band plays every song that they know, whatever the audience shout out. They play, they've got such an armory of songs under their belt, and that's kind of what what you know John was saying. That's what what it's like down on. The Jersey Shore. Yeah, and and then you know Johnny took the more pop route, you know, because he's smarter than the rest of us, and you know, and, and yeah, because you, know, you guys were much more in tune. That army was seen much more in tune with the kind of sort of punk or new wave sensibility that was happening everywhere else, as opposed to the hair. Yeah, we, we had a street a street thing that was just yeah. uh, it was very natural for us, you know, and and you know, and it was sort of. And there's nothing wrong with it, you know, but, you know, you, the Bruce Springsteen route was different than the Billy Joel route. Let's just put it that way, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Nothing wrong with Billy. I, I love him, you know. But, but you know, 
there was a sort of a pop sensibility there, you know, as opposed to a rock sensibility. And um, and the eighties was just was just everybody peaked, you know, everybody was able to combine everything and and sell ridiculous amounts of records, you know. That's at that point. true. No, oh, no, no, because I was going to say. So I wanted to get to where you started because you were playing bass for a while, weren't you? Well, in a group called Steel Mill, we, you know, we had a different we had a different band every you know three months or so, you know. Um, a band would last about three months. Whoever was leading it, sometimes it would be my band, sometimes it would be Bruce's. Bruce had a group called Steel Mill and, and the mm-hmm. bass player, whatever, something happened. He said, do me a favor, just play bass for a minute. So I did. And um, uh, I've been, uh, people have been sending some of those songs on Twitter lately. And they're quite remarkable songs, that group Steel Mill. I mean, uh, very weird, very strange. Um, Bruce had just started writing and was writing in a very bizarre and interesting way that I'm actually appreciating more now than, than ever. But anyway, um, they're, they're just recordings from somebody in the, in the audience, you know, but crazy, crazy wow. songs. That well, because Bruce's early, early writing was, he was very, very wordy and Dylan-y and much, wasn't he, before he well, by, by the time, it down? Well, that was, that, was the first, that was the first thing that the public was introduced to, you know, um, but, it, but there was a lot, of, a lot before that, you know, mm-hmm. and before that it was more instrumental, more instrumentally oriented, oh, so I mean, huh. The average steel mill song was eight nine minutes and went all over the place. Prog, prog. What was it like? Tower of Power or something? Um, <laughs> um, no, no, not 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 so much. Uh, no horns, you know. This, uh, steel mill was just four piece, you know. But the big B three, it was like um, early Deep Purple, I'd say. Oh, right. oh okay. You know, uh, where the organ was a big part of it, the big B three, and. Um, you know, a bit of rhinoceros, which you may not be familiar with. Oh, uh, God. You know. Um, That's the first and the last time they're ever going to be mentioned on this uh, pro, uh, <laughs> podcast. And we actually we actually did some gigs with the Allman Brothers. Um, wow. so we were kind of similar to them. Right. Uh, we did, oh, of we course, because they, they were long, they were long, yeah. Yeah, before they, before they made it, we, we, we were playing together uh, several, several gigs. Uh, I spoke earlier about that great moment in cultural history when Paul met John. We need to know the moment that you met Bruce, because that's a, that's an equivalent, right? And and before you met him, what what was he like from afar? <laughs> well, uh, what's interesting, and what's most interesting about the Beatles thing is there's pictures of it for Christ's sake. I mean, yeah. you know, talk about an entire life being photographed. I mean, there's pictures from the from the face, from the yeah. you know. I mean, isn't that unbelievable? There's pictures the day Paul wow. met. Yeah, yeah. I mean. You know, that's I still wild. look at them, Stephen. I still look at them. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> for clues, I'm looking for clues. <laughs> um, it, you know, it was not as eventful with us. Uh, you know, I had a local band, and he had a local band. We keep in mind there were no bands in America, right? February eighth, nineteen sixty four. February 9th, the Beatles I'm played like, a variety show. None, that right. none, none. I'm not kidding. There were they're all instrumental groups. You know, or yeah. doo-wop group, like I said, or, or the Elvis Presley's, you know, Steve Lawrence and Edie Gourmet, you know. And February 10th, everybody in America had a band. I'm, and I, I'm right. not kidding. In the garage. Now, most of them, you know, stayed merc- mer- mercifully stayed there. <laughs> yeah. but, but, but about a dozen of us got out of the garage and became the circuit in our area, you know. And Bruce had one band and I had another. And, um, and he, he was... Uh, a completely different person then. Uh, he was very, very quiet, n- never spoke. You know, we had l- very long hair and um, 
kind of grungy gr grungy would be the mm -hmm. best description you know oh. you picture grunge you know and uh i got very you know we just became very good friends because we were the only two people that really were completely 100 percent into rock and roll as a, as a religion you know i mean mm -hmm. we it, there was no plan b for us we were just complete freaks misfits you know um had no place in society whatsoever you know I mean, everybody, even the other 12 bands in the area, as soon as they had an option, they took it, you know, um, to go to college, to join the military, join their fathers, go, go work for their father or, you know, um, we weren't just, we just, you know, the, the only two guys left standing were me and him. What was your home? I mean, were you fighting against stuff at home or was, was oh my you God. Uh, we, um, my, was my, Don't get him started. <laughs> <laughs> my father, my father was an ex-Marine Goldwater Republican, you know, um, I don't know, which, which means the beginning of the conservative movement was, was a guy named Barry it, Goldwater. Um, and, and and so we we defined the generation gap that, that you may have heard about. Yeah, yeah. We 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 embarrassed our parents. You know, they were. You know, I feel sorry for them now, but but you know, they 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 thought we were you know drug addicts and just hopelessly, you know, done. And um, you know, and I eventually got kicked out of the house and kicked out of school because of my long hair. And um, you know, we just we just didn't fit in. You know, so we really strengthened each other i think in a very profound way i think at that at that moment in time which while i was still best friends to this day you know um we really i think needed each other just to have one person thinking the same way made you think you're not completely insane you know mm -hmm. but it was it was a real long shot to make it you know in rock and roll from new jersey um you know I mean, it's even harder now, to be honest. But, but, but back then, it was it was a long shot that you really. I mean, your, your parents would say, "What are you going to do? Be a Beatle? You know, you're going to be a Rolling Stone? You know?" And, and if you were honest with yourself, you had to say, "You know, no, yeah, I'm going to be in the E Street Band." <laughs> <laughs> you want to be that, don't you? That's what we all wanted to yeah, be. That's it. I mean, and 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 you know, we were just miraculously we made it. Um, yeah, but yeah, but when did you realize that you were going to be? Bruce's side man. Was there ever a, a moment when you well, wanted him to be your side man? I was, I was actually quite popular and my band was actually more, you know, more popular than his. And, and um, you know, we, we, we won all the, the battle of the bands. There was a, a lot of battles of the bands in those days. And, and we always won, you know. And so, um, and, and it's, but at a certain point, I just felt, you know, he started writing earlier than me and um, he just had a vision that was quite, uh, you know, quite definite about where he was going. And I just felt, you know what, I, 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 I can do some things that he can. I was very good at, my ear was very, was better than his. You know, I could hear, I could hear things, you know, I, I was a good arranger. Very beginning, you know. I want to get to that. You know, and, and, and you know, so I, I, I could hear more musical things in, in different ways. I thought I could really compliment him. And so at a certain point, you know, um, I was a boss in my world, and when I joined him and started calling him the boss, then people started taking it seriously because wow. I was like, "Did you, you know, come up with the boss? Is that you? Did you did you coin well, that?" He, he started he started joking about it because Frank Sinatra was called the boss, you know. Right. So so he started joking about it when when he was absolutely meant nothing, you know. They still you know started joking about calling himself the boss. I mean and. Uh, but but you know nobody took it seriously. But when I started calling him the boss, people were like, "Wait a minute, 
you know, <laughs> we, right. we, we, thought, we, we thought you were the boss, you know. That's great. <laughs> He's the boss of bosses. It's an Italian thing, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so what are you going to do? What are you going to do? <laughs> Um, yeah, no, because because yeah. because well, isn't apparently um, we were talking about the, the what Bruce has said is your I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm jumping forward too far here. Bruce said is your greatest contribution to Born to Run is you saved the guitar riff, right? <laughs> yeah. You didn't write the riff, you saved the riff. You need that story. Yeah, again. we won that. Yeah, yeah, come on. Yeah, we do. yeah. Come on. Oh, sorry, God. mate. I'm sorry, mate. All right. Quickly, quickly, <laughs> Don't quickly, you quickly. just have it recorded? Um, Can't you just hit play? <laughs> <laughs> My greatest sound bites. Um, yeah. uh, let's see. Uh, how can I do the short version of this? Basically, his first two records didn't do anything, and uh, his his career looked looked like it depended on his this, what he's going to do next. So they worked for literally for months on one song, and uh, the song "Born to Run," and uh, and you know, and, and it sounds like it. It's quite amazing. One of the great songs of all time. You're telling me. Records of all time. Yeah, so anyway, yeah. they, so they work on it literally for months, and and Gary, you know what that means. I mean, you know, it, you know, working on a song for days is is, is one thing. Weeks is already pushing it. You know? <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. but months, yeah. you know, it's like ridiculous, right? Yeah. So so they finally get the mix, and in those days, I and I think this was a sixteen track, if I'm not mistaken, the sixteen track machine, uh, which makes it even more complicated. Yeah, yeah. So they spent God knows how long mixing it. They he, he invites me up. I go up and, and I listen to it and I and I, I said, wow, that is just fantastic, man. You know, and I especially like that that the minor the minor riff is so just so fucking cool, you know. <laughs> and, and he said, he says, what? I said, you know, the minor riff, you know, it's it's like a real Roy Orbison kind of move. You're kind of like it's something the Beatles would do, you know. And he's like, what minor, what minor riff? Oh, oh. oh. <laughs> the minor riff in the chord <laughs> he's like he throws me the guitar i said what are you talking about so what had happened was he's bending the note playing like a Dwayne eddy type of riff right with a lot of reverb right and and he's bending the note and where he's bending it from is the minor to and he's bending it to the major but you know after working on it for months they what they think they're hearing you know is is what i just said bending the note to the major note but actually, you only—I only heard where he's bending it from. I never hear where it's where he's bending it to because yeah, yeah. the reverb yeah. is, is, you know, is right. making it go away. You know, so. But it's unsettled. So the riff is down, da 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 da, right? Da da da, right? Da 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 yeah, da. Yeah. I'm hearing da 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 da. da. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah. Right? What I think is absolutely great, but it's sad. Know? It's sad. <laughs> it's not uplifting. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a little yeah. less triumphant. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, we didn't spend six months for sad. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, so you know, so finally he, he hears what I'm hearing, you know, and he's like, "Oh my fucking god," you know. And he goes in there and tells them, and oh, geez, forget about it. But, well, but, then, um, well, mate, th thank you. So, you know, he, thank he, you. He, he, he's from the I world. Say, I say, I saved his career, yes, you know. But did and you play I, the guitar in the end? Did you did you go in and do the riff? Uh, no, 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 no. That, I wasn't in the band. That's what you were. But then you also you also you walked in, didn't you? And on the spot, 
did the horn chart for 10th Avenue Freeze Out. That was, a, that was another session. I, I, he invited me up. Oh, you, did, oh I, you didn't do it at the same session. Oh, I am disappointed. No, no, no. no, no. He, just, <laughs> he, just, he invited me up now and then, you know, and after a while they stopped inviting me, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, he's, no, he'll make us change shit. I'm, I'm, I'm lying on the floor. Now, keep in mind, you know, this was, this was a different studio now. Um, this is the Rick record plant, yeah. quite, quite a famous studio. Right, uh, right. And, and, you know, here we are working our entire lives to get into the music business, you know? And we're so excited about it. And, and, and you know, pretty late in life. I mean, you know, and, well, I mean, you know, relatively. He's, he's signed when he's 22, 23. Uh, anyway, um, so, you know, I'm lying on the floor. And, and the 70s was the worst possible time to record. Um, the, the, the engineers had, had taken over in a coup d'etat and, and, and decided that they needed separation and, and, uh, and clarity and, you know, and, and padding and everything that rock and roll hates, okay? So, so you know, and, I, and what they would do is they, they would take all the life out of the recording and then they would put it all back in in the mix. <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah. The, you know. so, so I'm lying on the floor you know, and, and I'm and I'm listening to the, the recording 10th Avenue, and, and it just sounds terrible. You know, it just sounds terrible to begin with because everything's so padded. You know, and they're doing this ridiculous horn chart. You know, and Bruce made the mistake of saying, you know, what do you think? You know, <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I'm I'm not in the business. You know, I'm a I'm a street kid. You know, I don't give a fuck about anything. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This episode of Rock on Tours is sponsored by AG1, the daily nutrition supplement. AG1 is a comprehensive and convenient blend of over 70 vitamins, minerals and other vital ingredients like gut-friendly bacteria, antioxidants and much more. Just one scoop of AG1 daily has all the nutrients you need to support your mental performance, energy levels, heart health and immune system. To be honest, it's pretty vital stuff for us because when you've got a life on the road and you're short of time or you're too busy to plan and prepare healthy meals, you're getting your podcast together, you're being shouted at and it's just a nightmare. AG1 gives me all the good stuff and helps keep my energy levels where I need, ready for showtime or doing the podcast and with a nice vanilla taste. It keeps me focused, feeling good, feeling healthy with its daily dose of vitamin C and zinc. And it's so easy to use. Just one scoop a day gives me over 70 carefully selected ingredients. Simple. Trusted by Olympians, F1 drivers and the rock on tours. So if you want to replace your multivitamin and more, start with AG1. 
Try AG1 and a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first subscription. Go to drinkag1.com slash rockonteurs. That's drinkag1.com slash rockonteurs. Check it out. So you're just his mate at this point. You're not in the band. No, 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 just a friend. Just a friend, you know. We've been friends years before, yeah. you know, 10 years, 10 yeah. years before. And by that. the way, we all know, we've all been in the studio with with the with the artist's mate coming in and telling us what we should be doing yeah i mean that could you do not want to be that guy <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so you know he says what do you think i said this fucking sucks right? <laughs> silence you know dead silence i mean there's managers there's engineers there's producers you know there's like oh you had tons of you there's landau there's appel there's iavine i mean yeah. man yeah. i mean yeah. I, I loved he was he was advertising himself at the time get little steven in he'll tell you how shit your track is <laughs> <laughs> so so he says all right then go in there and fucking fix it you know so i said all right i will you know and i went in there and i and i, and I sang him some parts and, and you know they had um they had a baritone a, a tenor and a trumpet i think it was the breckers uh, wasn't it yeah well i didn't know it was the most I mean, yeah, I mean, fuck, it's the fucking breaker yeah i'm just gonna go in and tell the brecker brothers what to do wow and then <laughs> dave sanborn right the brecker brothers and dave sanborn you know the most famous, <laughs> the most wow. famous players. <laughs> so I, I sing them the parts and uh yeah hey miles not like that <laughs> <laughs> Who'd written the part before? <laughs> no, but who'd written the part before? I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Somebody must have made made some some kind of chart. But um, I just uh, I just we just redid it, and that's what you hear in the record. You know? Where did you learn that stuff, Stephen? Where? What was your back in music? What was your background? Just just, just from listening to records, you know. I, I I don't I don't read or write to this day. Yeah. Uh, you know, but but I, I started arranging horns and strings. The, ver the very first production of, of, of I Don't Want to Go Home for the Jukes. Wow. Um, arranged all the horns and the strings. Um, so how do you arrange strings? You literally, you just go, because, you know, straight yeah, classically you, trained you gotta, players, you can't, you know, they don't, how, no, no, how do you, you do that? You gotta have charts, you gotta have charts. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I get an orchestrator and, and I sing right. them the part, you know? Right. In, in, in the beginning, I would orchestrate as well. Through the years, you know, if I use the same guys over and over, I don't have to go through each single part. I can just sing the, the main melodies and, you know, and, and do a shortcut because they, they know how I want things orchestrated. If I hear something I don't like in terms of a voicing, I'll change it, you know. But in the beginning, I was doing the voice things and everything, you know, viola does this, a cello does that. And, you know, I was just making it up as I went, you know, I just, you know. Big boom, I mean, that's what, big boom. That's what, that's, what, that's, what, I mean, that's what it is, isn't it? It's just yeah, like that. Exactly, exactly. It's, that's, it's, 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 that's what that's what the Beatles were doing, right? You know, it's what everyone was doing, which is, you know. Well, so, well they had a little, George Martin, George Martin had a little bit more education than so, I did. But, so, yeah, Stephen, when did, when did you join? When did the E Street Band happen? Um, well, right after that, um, Bruce decided that he had, um, like I said, the career was in, a, in, in, you know, big trouble. And they had seven gigs booked for the new Born to Run album coming out. And so he said, I want to put the guitar down. You know, it's not really working right now. I'm going to try fronting the band for a minute, seeing if that makes a difference. So, you know, will you play guitar for a minute? And so I, I you know, I, um, 
I was tired of the jukes, you know, because I was managing the band as well as producing them and, and, and co-singing. You know, we were like Sam and Dave, you know, we, we had yeah. you know, with two, two singers. And, um, you know, so I'm fighting with the, the club owners all the time. You know, and I, I needed a break. So I said, all right, let me, let me come out for a couple of weeks. I'll play guitar, you know. So I went out for seven gigs, basically, and then stayed seven years. But that's, <laughs> that, but those, the footage of the show from that time, What's extraordinary, and I think what took everyone's breath away when we saw this in in the UK is, you know, the Beatles, like you were saying, there was a sense of family there, but this was absolute family, a gang on stage, you know, and Bruce was the Fonz, right? He's the great, he's the greatest leader of this gang. And I wondered, you know, I wonder if there is a bit of coming from Italian backgrounds that has anything to do with what what was what we were seeing and feeling. Well, you know, maybe. I mean, we, you know, we we both. It's funny, me and Bruce are both Italians with Dutch names, <laughs> which is which is weird. Yeah. Um, I, in my case, I was adopted by my Dutch father. So I'm 100% Italian. I think Bruce is uh, some other percentage, you know, 50 or 60% Italian. But there's but, um, a family thing. Yeah, I, I, I mean, that's my orientation personally. You know, I, I you know, even when I made, started making my solo records, I made sure the band was like a family. Um, that's just my own personal thing. Bruce, I think, uh, has it to some extent also. And um, although he has more of a natural inclination split down the middle of a band guy and a solo guy, you know, he, he enjoys being the solo guy as well, which I, I never did really, um, especially, I mean, solo, solo, like on stage with an acoustic yeah. guitar solo. The ultimate expression of that, I would say, is when you went on to do, um, when you went on to do Sun City, is just the sheer oh, amount wow. of people you got in to do that. I listened to Sun City again today. What a song. It has not dated yeah, in the slightest. I mean, you listen to Feed uh, the World or one of the, you know, they're, they're dated. Sun City could come out of the box today. I mean, it's uh, a phenomenal you, track. You, what you did in, uh, with Arthur Baker as well. It was Sounds like intro will get me every time. Was that just you playing like him? <laughs> <laughs> you gotta love him um yeah. it was a different mission in a way you know what i mean we, we weren't going for the biggest celebrities we were going for people who had yeah. said something with their work or was you know engaged socially somehow and and that was the that was the way we chose those people so it ended up more diverse you know um and we had you know things like salsa represented with yeah. Ruben blake and ray barreto you know uh reggae was represented with jimmy cliff you know some of the more you know the lesser important sort of genres were, were in there you know um and we you know we we just uh, it, the, the mission was a bit different it was a, it was a it was a motivational song you know it was a song yeah. about revolution you know but it covers an entire record just the people on that record are the basis of an entire and very complete record collection. <laughs> Plenty of people have written protest songs, including Dylan, who's on your protest song. But I think what's so clever about that protest song is, is it, it, it's never, it's really reaching out there and it's trying to get people's feet involved first. It gets people's yeah, right. hearts exactly. involved before their brain. And, and I think that's the great skill of it. But that's the difference. That's the difference between, I think, you know, political music and, and social you know, social issues, you know, you know, feeding people in Africa is, it's, you know, you, you're working from the heart, you know, and, 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 uh, and this, you're working from the fist. We really, you know, we, we political music, you know, you're, you're pointing your finger, you know, it's like 
this is wrong. This is why this is, you know, how we fix it. You know, this is the list of people we need to like, you know, get, you know, it's that kind of specifics that, that changed, that changed the attitude of it. Well, that's the know? basis of rock and roll, isn't it? It's you're coming back to, you're literally pointing out the man, you know, you're standing up to the man. I mean, that's, I mean, I mean, Ronald Reagan was God in those days, but you know, people don't remember this. You yeah. know, he was, he was literally God. And to mention him in the, in the song, you know, uh, it took a lot of courage for those artists to, to join in yeah. on, on that. Well, well, a lot of American radio stations wouldn't play the song, would they? Nobody would. We, we thank, thank God, MTV was having a fight at the time because they weren't playing any black artists, That's right? Yeah. right? So, so, so I went into MTV and I said, listen, I can solve your black artist problem with one video. Okay, I, got, I have more black artists in this year, you know, than, you know, than you've played all year, you know? And, and luckily they, they bought that. And, and, and you know, so if people heard the record, they heard it from MTV and, and a black network called BET. You did not hear the song on the radio. It was too black for white radio and too white for black radio. Because you know? I also, I remember hearing like, for instance, of all people, I remember hearing Daryl Hall being interviewed about it. And he said, well, you know, I don't want to call out any names. Actually, yes, I do. And then he just listed everyone who played Sun City. And it was like, yeah, yeah. Daryl got his game. You know, that was amazing. <laughs> well, it was, a big, it was a big discussion as to, because, you know, we had a couple of rabble rousers, you know, in the group, you know, in, there was four of us. Me, uh, Danny Schechter, who was a, a natural born yeah. troublemaker. Yeah. Um, Art Perry, who videoed everything, thank God, and, and Arthur Baker. Arthur Baker, yeah, I know Arthur. We love Arthur, you know. yeah. Because, you know, I mean, without Arthur's phone book, you know, it would have been five yeah. people, you know. Um, so Danny, thinking, we're going to need publicity, because it wasn't it wasn't an issue in America. You, you know, it was, it was a big issue in, in England and, and, right. and in yeah. Europe. You know, your, your unions were very strong. Yeah, I played, uh, I played a, an anti-apartheid concert in, in Hyde Park in 1985. And there was a hundred thousand people there, you know, it was still because because of course, you know, you had Reagan, and of course we had Thatcher who was having a big massive love affair with Reagan, and we weren't applying sanctions to South Africa. So remember, so we were the bad guys too. Mm. Oh no, no, it, it was the evil so, trinity of, yeah. of Reagan, uh, Thatcher, and Cole in Germany. Yeah. But but I think you know, but I think Jerry Dammers, uh, you know, Free Nelson Mandela had yeah. come out. I think yeah. but anyway, um, so it wasn't an issue in America, really, you know. and and um Danny says, let's Let's mention who who played there and get some controversy oh, right, going, right, you, know, right. you know, for publicity, you know, and 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 we even did a demo mentioning some names, and and, and in the end, I said no, 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 I really want it's going to end up being a distraction. I want to try and keep the music people as a as a as a family together here, um, and let's keep our eye on the ball, you know, which is, you know, establishing the cultural boycott so we can get to the economic boycott, which is the home run, you know, in the end. And that's what we did. So I met with Queen and I met with a few people who had been there and, and, I, and they and they by going there, by the way, they had gotten themselves onto the United Nations blacklist, wow. uh, which was quite serious uh, because the unions in Europe were, were taking that list seriously. Um, so a lot of the people who had played there were going to have trouble working, you know, uh, and, and, you know, and there was a few, it was a few. So I, I met with them and they said, you know, how do we get off this list? And I said, listen, just tell, just say you're not going to go back. It's as simple as that. You're not going back to Sun City. I'm going to take the position that you were manipulated, you were fooled, you thought you were playing a different country, which is how they advertised yeah, it. Yeah. You know? And they really overpaid everybody, you know. 
And I said, you know, so I said, we're going to, we're going to assume that you were manipulated. You were, you were, you were fooled into doing it and you're not going to go back. That's all you have to do. And I'll get you off the list because the UN was sending everybody to me. This is know? still coming uh, into play. Yeah. I'll get you off the list. <laughs> so we, I got everybody, I got everybody off the list. And even Paul Simon, who ended up, you know, being the one. Well, he was in trouble for the wrong way around, wasn't he? Because he'd been working with Lady Smith Black Mambaza, who no, no, a black no, no, South no, African he, musician. He, 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 in, he intentionally violated the boycott. He, he yeah. was a, he was op, he was opposed to the boycott. Oh. So, you know, me and him ended up, you know, a bit uh. of a problem. But, but 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 he was the only exception. Everybody else, you know, said we're not going back. You know, and, and we shut down Sun City overnight. You know, we Whoa. were very 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 successful. Incredible, they, incredible. They, 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 uh, that, the, how how good did that feel? Well, what what. The most one of the most amazing moments of my life was watching Mandela come out of jail. I mean, yeah, yeah, that was you know, I'm I mean, feeling you had some hand you know, in that because you didn't, you know, you didn't really quite believe that that would ever happen. You know, no. and, and uh, and and they really, you know, once we overrode Reagan's veto of the, of the economic sanctions, then every then it felt like dominoes. And they had to let him out. They had to let him out. And and uh, out he came. And, and oh my God, it was like a miracle, you know? A miracle. Yeah, amazing. Uh, uh, hey, listen, Stephen, you know, a, a lot of what you and Bruce have always sung about and a lot of what the Jersey Sound is about is it's about singing about the underdog. It's about singing about the urban man who and, and his struggle and the sense that he's disenfranchised. And obviously your allegiance, well, certainly Bruce has been, you know, publicly been Democrat suddenly you've not got the old fashioned left and right in your country. And it's more about identity politics and it's more about a, a Trump comes along and he's suddenly the guy who's for the urban man. How does that feel? Is there, was there a sense at some point that you'd felt not deserted, but you were no longer the voice for that guy. And that was frustrating. Oh my God. That's a, um, it's a big, it's a big subject, but basically yeah. we've been living in an insane asylum, you know, for, yeah. for, for four years. You know, and 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 I feel the same way about Brexit. By the way, thank uh, you. E e equally big mistake as Trump. Yeah. But, 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 it's know, the same I, people. I, it's I, the same people behind it. So, yeah. yeah, I mean the, the Tories are the Republicans, as far as I'm concerned. But but this was this this became the biggest scam, uh, the the biggest hustle, the biggest con in, in history. And he, he he's just the greatest con man that ever lived. And he conned uh, the working class into thinking he was for them. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and the Republicans who've never done a single thing for the working class to, to this day. Um, I mean, even the relief bill, which has been in the House of Representatives for you know 10 months while Trump was still there, you know, McConnell and the Republicans just refused to, to help anybody. You know, they couldn't care less. So I don't know. Uh, I've reduced this whole thing in my mind, you know, to, to, to this, which is, I mean, 74 million people voted for Trump. Okay. After he murdered 500,000 yeah. people, and I consider him the biggest mass murderer in history, uh, in, in America anyway. Why? Why, why? why are people voting for this guy, you know? Yeah. And I'm, I'm sorry, but I've reduced it to the fact that they are completely scared of or hate black people. Okay, uh, they are uh, scared to death of immigrants and 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 blame immigrants mm -hmm. and they blame black people for all of their problems. And I know that sounds ridiculous in this in the 21st century, but I'm telling you right now, it's a fact. It, it's fear of the black man that is completely irrational. You know, it's the only possible explanation for voting for this guy. Well, you have said, no yeah, you you very brilliantly said on record that the problem is because 
there is no integration that could be sorted out in one generation, That's, right? We've never integrated our no. country. You know, I mean, I, I talk about some of this in the in, in the book, although I, I didn't I didn't want to spend too much time with politics in the book, but it, it, it was you know. We have to now accept the fact that in our case, we were founded as a white supremacist country. Okay, mm -hmm. that was our, you know, with an asterisk. And the asterisk is, well, a couple of the guys feel guilty about it, you know. Uh, so they, they so they put the ideals are, are present in our in our founding fathers, you know, all men are created equal type stuff. It's it, it's it, it's all in there. But the fact was slavery was in the Constitution. You know, mm -hmm. uh, women's women had no equality in the Constitution. Mm -hmm. Now we're slowly fixing these things. You know, we, we haven't fixed our integration yet. Yeah. You know? If the greatest I mean, integration that ever happened in America was music, surely. I mean, that's the the, the oh, cultural yeah. oh, integration. No. So, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, all all youth movement, all great cultural movements come from white kids and black and, kids and, checking and the, each other out. East Street Band was one of the first mixed race bands, really. I mean, yeah. you know, had there were two black we guys the, in the there. First, yeah, we were, we were one of the biggest. Um, one of the first was actually Paul Butterfield Blues Band. Oh, yeah, right. It was a fantastic band. And, and you know... Um, Sly, funny enough. Well, Sly, <laughs> yeah, Sly and... Andy Newmark playing drums. Love, yeah. love. And, you know, so there wasn't too many, but but yeah, we, 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 were, we got um, Clarence with the saxophone was a was a nod to tradition as well. So we were kind of carrying on the tradition of rock as well as the integration of rock. But, but um, yeah, I think yeah, that's, but, that's why that Born to Run cover is such a powerful image, isn't it? That was such a yeah. great, you know. Yeah. But it took, yeah. It took the, Alan Freeds, the Alan Freeds of the world to play black music for the white kids because our radio was, was, was segregated entirely. Black radio played this, white radio played that. That's the right, because that's the thing we never had. You know, we always complained that our radio was, should we just have Radio 1? But you heard everything. You heard everything on that one stage. Yeah, we, you know? by, the, by, the, by the late 50s, we were hearing everything. We had fantastic radio. But I mean, yeah, but you, then you had FM everything. You had your rock star. That's why you end up with, like, Disco Sucks, which is the most race, out-and-out out racist campaign there's ever been, right? Isn't it? Can, can, I, can, can, I just, can I just go back onto this fantastic arranging and your, and your E Street Band family? There's a great clip on YouTube um, of a few years ago. Uh, I, I, you look like you're in a football stadium somewhere and uh and it's, dome. The bit, it's the bit where where bruce is taking requests from the audience oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and and you you end up doing uh, you never can tell the chuck berry song but you've never done it before yeah. and you pull it together you decide what the key is going to be and the whole band ends up rocking this tune and there's the bit my favorite bit at the end is you're going between I, I, whatever your key you're in maybe you're in g so you're going between d and g and then as it ends bruce holds up four fingers and you all go to the fourth chord I mean, you know, what a band. I mean, how is yeah, that? Uh, Are you shitting bricks when he does all that stuff? No, nah, you got used to it. You know, we, you know, we grew up with that stuff. I mean, you know, it's the, it's the James Brown thing, really. You yeah, know? yeah. James Brown uh, was the guy who was giving these signals, and and uh, you know, people were reacting very, very spontaneously. So we kind of, we kind of kind of comes from that. But we've been doing it a long time, uh, and you know, we just started taking requests. Um, which was uh, a new a new idea from eighty thousand people. How do you do that? Sorry, I didn't... <laughs> what? what? <laughs> I mean, we rehearse it right on stage, you know. So, so you know, uh, it's a way of turning a stadium into a club. You yeah. know what I mean? It yeah, really is. 
And Stephen, you do, you even do, you guys. I mean, what you, the the songs you can pull out of the bag uh, overnight. I mean, there's that in the wonderful footage I've seen of you going to the Cavern Club to do that lunchtime gig. Yeah, your, your in whole Maca to Maca thing, fantastic. Yeah. I, I, you're yeah. all in the back, and the whole band are learning like you know twenty Beatles songs, you know, in seconds. <laughs> and then there are more of you in the venue than audience because it's so there's so many musicians. <laughs> we grew up with that with that with that ability to learn things. Quickly and, and uh, I mean that that particular you know uh, once once Paul came on stage which, which was you know just a, a miracle it, you know put me in a in a beetly mood even more than usual and we're heading to Liverpool and I remembered that you know when the Beatles started they did this crazy thing that can only happen in England called you know lunchtime sets <laughs> which, yeah that's uh, how they started at the cabin. Yeah. And they and the clerks and the shop, you know, the secretaries would bring their lunch to the cavern, and the Beatles would play for half an hour. Now, this is such a wonderful eccentricity, you know. I mean, it's just crazy, right? Well, it's to put, it's to take their minds off how awful their lunch is, because lunch in, <laughs> in Liverpool in 1960 was not good. So, so we, I said, call the cavern, tell them we're playing Liverpool Saturday night, and, and I want to do, I want to do a lunchtime set, you know. <laughs> And they call up and say, well, um, oh, we haven't done that in 40 or 50 years, but uh, why not? You know, so so um, on the way we had like four days and I said, OK, let's let's do um, let's do half a set of Beatles songs with horns because nobody ever hears the Beatles songs with, with the horns, you, you know, and the other half, the other half uh, we'll, we'll do we'll do cover songs that the Beatles actually played at the cavern, you know. Oh, nice. Um, they they assumed I wanted to play the bigger room because they have a bigger room now, that's that because that's where Paul played. And I said no 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 I have to have the room you know for the only film that we've ever seen is yeah. the Beatles doing some other guy with the, with the arches. I have to be in the room with the arches. So we barely fit the rhythm section on on the stage. You can see in the DVD. I know, I've seen it, it's mad. There's a wall, you know, and the horns and the, the horns and the girls are on the other side. We couldn't see them, you know? So we, we kind of end the songs around the same place, but, but uh, we couldn't see each other. How, anyway. how amazing. Listen, I know, I know you're going to have to go soon, but I know Guy yeah. doesn't want to let you go well, without them. Well, there's not really anything I want to say. It's just that I'm such, I'm, I'm such a huge Sopranos plenty fan. Time, plenty of time for you, sir. Oh, wow. Well, okay. Going. Oh, man. Um, no, because there's just so much, because I wondered, you're clearly such a good person. So when you were offered that role, and is that David Chase literally just saw you give that little rascal speech and said, this guy's got to be in my show? Yeah. I mean, admittedly, I've watched that speech and it is the most New Jersey thing I've ever seen. I mean, you are, it is like, <laughs> it is like you are auditioning for the part of this, of this guy. It really is. Okay. Ah, some guys were making some noise in England. Ah, and, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> but then, and so, yeah, but apparently you said your thing was that you didn't want to take an actor's job. Because you said yeah, these guys it, learn and everything, yeah. you know, and it's so so David Chase gave you some bullshit about how he's invented a character. Although the idea that there wouldn't be a consigliore is frankly a bit of a stretch. <laughs> no, no, no. I watched, I watched him invent it because it wasn't in the pilot. I, I read the pilot script and there right, was right, no. Okay. Because what's interesting? Because I want because I know because um, you're turning into a total fanboy now, guy. I know. No, I was going to say I wondered how hard because Sil manages to stay out of trouble for a lot of and a lot of the stuff you do is kind of okay. But you only get into a couple of fights and stuff. It's not until the Adriana thing that's really really dark. And I just wondered if you had trouble with that because, like you know, James Gandolfini had real trouble playing such a dark person because he was clearly such a kind man. Man, that kindness that shows in his eyes, didn't he? Which is what made you root for him. Well, I mean, or you know, you, do you just think it's acting? I don't care. I'll, I'll kill them yeah. all. Yeah, 
you got to kind of create, you know, I'd written a biography about the guy and, you know, and I made sure I, I looked like the guy in my head, you know, um, I found out where John Gotti got his clothes made. I mean, I, mean, I, I had to, I had to, cause you know, uh, like I said, I, I lived through my, my wife was a real actor in the family. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, she'd gone to acting school and done off, off Broadway and off Broadway. And, you know, and, and so I'd watched her, what, what she went through as a, as an actor. And that's why I, I said to Dave, I said, you know, geez, I, she's watching what Maureen goes through. I really feel guilty taking a job, you know, of somebody, mm -hmm. somebody who's gone through all that, you know, and he literally said, no, I'm going to write you in a part. I want you in the show, you know? So, so, um, he asked me, he asked me, he says, you know, what, what, what would you like to play? What kind of role? And I said, well, I, I never thought about acting before, but I, but I had thought about writing and, and, and you know, I had written a, a treatment about uh, uh, an independent hitman named Silvio Dante, who um, oh, opens wow. a club uh, called the Copacabana, you know, Copacabana style club, but in present day. And, you know, and it has all of those old, you know, the big band and the, and the Jewish Catskills comics and the, and the dancing oh, girls, but, but it's set in present day. So he kind of lives in the past and he kind of looks like the past. And, um, and, and, and the five families have their own tables and uh, the police commissioner and the mayor have table, you know, their own tables. And a lot of the, and the drama all takes place in the club, kind of like a mafia version of a Casablanca, you know? Uh, and so David really liked the idea and, and, he, and he went away and came back a day later and said, um, well, HBO says we can't really afford that idea, but we'll make it a strip club instead. And you'll run the club for the, for the you know, you'll front the kind mm -hmm. of run the club for the, for the, for the family. And we'll use the back room as, as their, as their, you know, as their clubhouse, you know, as their office. And, um, and then by the second season, it really turned into the consigliere and, and the underboss, you know? Right. Um, but at first I was just like one of the guys, one Tony's, Tony's friend, you know, a friend of Tony Soprano. And uh, yeah, so it kind of grew, it kind of grew, you know, as it went. Well, one thing I, that, that's so brilliantly observed is the fact that they're so self-referential, like all the, like your big quote, you're, that you always have to come up with. I'm, I'm not going to ask you to do it, even though I'd love you to. Just when I thought I was out. <laughs> but if I, but that's right. from The Godfather, right? That's not even your quote. Yeah. I mean, that's the no, lovely no, no, thing. And The Bada Bing is called The Bada Bing from The Godfather. You know, it's 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 so fantastically meta in, in that way. Well, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're intentionally impersonating the, the Godfather in that in that moment. Um, we, you know, the... The role of the Godfather actually did play a major role in the real in the real mafia, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, even though you know a lot a lot of the Godfather movies are not exactly how the mafia works, you know. But 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 it was but it, but in, to some extent, a lot of the, the younger mob guys were learning from the Godfather how to be a gangster, you know. Yeah. It was a very very uh, you know art art imitating life imitating art situation going on in real life i mean yeah so you know we we had we, we reflected some of that in the sopranos but how much and so how i'm just intrigued how how pervasive is the mob in jersey i mean how much of a part is because it's all a lot of it's quite shitty nickel and dime dvd yeah, players it, and it, isn't it it's... the genius of the show i think uh, among other things was taking what has become an extremely boring job now uh you know they're Half of them are, you know, sitting around reading the racing form all day. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not sure from what I hear. Uh, you know, uh, and 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 making a, a very boring 
lifestyle actually it's compelling somehow you know yes and the genius of david chase was making that compelling and i think he did it by the universal uh challenge of people who have to balance work their work life and their family life you know now right. granted you know th this work happens to be you know the mob uh, which is a bit a bit exaggerated for most people but 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 the universal truth of that balance i think is what ended up becoming so popular you know? yeah because because frankly it's got that great thing it's like there was there's a screenwriter who said like the sign of a great horror movie is if you take the horror out it's still a great movie right and and the sopranos has that in that if you took the mob stuff out it's still a great show it's still just these midlife crisis guys family growing yeah, families they're, in, they're in only they're only in new jersey you they're only I mean? seven stories they're only seven stories that's what they say so <laughs> Yeah. And Bruce, has, Bruce and Stephen have written most of them in their songs. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, where are you now? How's your lockdown been? That's what I want to know. I, I Luckily, I, I had the most productive last three years of my life, 17, 18 and 19. Honestly, I, I got six album packages done uh, through two tours, two new albums, you know, released the Lilyhammer score I had done, uh, released, remastered all my all my um, masters uh, again literally six packages and a seventh wow. one's coming out in June, the Summer of Sorcery uh, live DVD. Uh, so I had the most productive three years, you know, toured around the world twice. And, um, you know, I, I kind of was okay with staying home for a minute. Actually. And you did Bruce's yeah. album yeah, yeah. as well. The pandemic was actually just, oh, yeah, just we, what I, you needed, really, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, because we, we, yeah, I cut the tour short, luckily. Uh, thinking that we were going to tour with the E Street Band summer of 2020, so I said, you know, let's leave a let's leave a few months. So I stopped the tour like November 6th, and we were in, in the studio like November 15th or something. And Bruce booked five days, and I thought, well, that's a little strange, but okay, you know, maybe he just wants to try some things out, and then you know, then we'll really get into it and you know, spend a couple of months. Uh, we did the whole album in, in four days. We had nothing to do on the fifth day. Uh, we sat around drinking tequila, listening to the listening to the record. I mean, do you know it's it it's a beautiful film that, and and it, it came out you know at a time when none of us could see our friends, and and it really made me cry when you know beautiful black and white photography when you guys all walk into that studio, that wonderful barn studio he has, and you're all meeting each other, and the sense of camaraderie and friendship and coming together again, have really spoke to me at, at that moment. Yeah, like luckily, just just before the quarantine, you know, obviously, uh, you know, just a, just, a, just a month or two before the quarantine hit, and uh, so that was good timing. Just happened to be good timing. So yeah, so I got six album packages plus the E Street Band record, you know. So you know, I've been I've been happy to be home, to be honest. Uh, I, you know, I'm not a big socializer anyway, and um, you know, my 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 dog appreciates it. I, I'm not sure my wife does, but um, you know. <laughs> Uh, my, my wife's ready for this virus to be over, I think. So what are the plans? But, I, you know, I, I just, I travel so much. I mean, I travel mm. all the time. So Where so, is home, Steve? Uh, Manhattan. I'm in uh, Greenwich Village. In, in and and you've been writing? Uh, I spent the whole pandemic basically writing the book, yeah. All oh, right, right. So, and, uh, yeah, no, tell us about the book. So that's coming out in September. That's all done, right? Uh, it's now September, um, yeah. And... Um, it was tough, you know, it was a challenge because there's a lot of stuff and, and uh, 
for me, it's not a matter of what you put in; it's a matter of what you leave out. You know, because yeah. Garen and I have both written books. We, yeah, we do. <laughs> uh, so you know, you feel like I just knew what I was going to leave out. I was going to leave him out. That's all I planned on doing right from the start. That was my sort of main thing. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it was, you know, it was, it was quite a challenge. I and I, I felt like you know, I don't really care that much about my life. It's just, it's just um. I think along the way, I've found some things that can be useful to others. And I'm hoping that's what people take away from the book is, you know, I've learned a few things along the way, you know, you know, basically. And, and uh, you know, I'm one of the great advisors of the world because, not because I'm smart, it's because I'm so stupid, you know. And I've, I've, I've fucked up every possible way somebody can fuck up. So when I, if, you know, when I suggest something, you know, people should listen because yeah. I know. Like I Bruce know did. Well, sometimes he did, sometimes he didn't. Listen, it's been such a pleasure having you on here. Oh, because I said you've got so much to teach you because you've done, you've given so much to us, Steve, in in so many ways. I mean, as an activist, as a musician, as an actor, I mean, it's, you know, you've, it's brilliant. We thank you. Salute you. Great to meet you all and uh, hopefully see you in person eventually. Well, indeed. Good luck. What's the book called? What's the book called? Do you know yet? Unrequited Infatuations. Beautiful. Oh, what a what an amazing guy man, he was! Man, I, that could have just gone on. What was so sweet he, is he clearly would be happy to talk for longer, but you can't take the piss. Well, no, you can't. And there are people listening who whose ears must be burning because we we're, all three of us at one point were just gabbing, gabbing know, so was, excitedly. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's just, he's he's just got so much information. <laughs> you share. know, he's that's the reason why I love doing this show as well. You know, because you know to to be in the same feeling that I'm in the same room as as little Stephen and and having yeah. that connection with the E Street Band and with Bruce and some of the greatest stuff in 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 music history. It's, yeah. it's, it's such They're a thrill. Right. And the hope that just maybe something will rub off through osmos, just a little something, yes, a little, little bit stardust, down, little down bit the stardust. down the Zoom line. Um, <laughs> so listen, thank you for listening. We are the Rock on Tours, Guy and I, and we want to say thank Ben, our producer, yep. and uh, and thank you, of course, for being so nice and tuning in, and so many of you now listening. And um, hopefully, we'll keep these coming, won't we, Guy? We've got we we'll a few coming, absolutely. If it's the last thing we do. You've got well, a few sorry. rock stars in your in your wardrobe, haven't you? I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> I've got yeah. I think there's a couple of phone numbers left. I haven't worn them all out. Same with you. <laughs> good. So we'll we'll keep phoning and you keep listening. Thank you, and we'll see you next week. It's good night from me, and good night from her. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.